Hello and welcome to What Is Your Working Class, the podcast dedicated to exploring the variety that exists in working classness. And today I'm joined by filmmaker Kath Shaler. To stay up to date on all new episodes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at What Is Your Work One and on your chosen podcast provider. Thank you so much for listening and hope you enjoy the episode. Hey Kath, how you doing? Thanks. Uh, how are you? Ah, not too bad. I'm trucking along. Whereabouts are you at at the moment? Um, I'm in my flat in very windy, rainy London at the moment. Oh, fun. It's been weirdly windy and rainy when we're recording, I should say. It's been really, best way to put it is shit <laughs> in weather terms. But uh, yeah, it's just weird at the moment. I'm sort of yeah. got that fear of Scottish summer just being two three days and then just going back to rain we're not going to get anything in the south either but the weather app is rain for the next 10 days so great <laughs> yeah uh, you've been how you been keeping sane over lockdown i've been what have you been do- i've been furloughed so i work at a cinema and i've just basically been furloughed for the last year with going back in between the lockdowns for a few like months and then a few weeks and then furlough again um so I've just been trying to make more film things really it's actually been quite good for me in terms of creativity I've been applying for lots of like grants with not much success but it's good to practice and yeah, yeah. every time you apply for something it gets easier the more you practice it so so what is your class background so I grew up in a small village in the middle of nowhere in East Yorkshire as an only child to a single mother and Hull was the closest city but it was still like a narrow way on the train and I guess like on my mum's side of the family we had like quite a farming background I don't know everyone I meet in London now thinks that's quite funny because I don't I guess I don't radiate farming energy but like all of my mum's side grew up like just working on chicken and dairy farms I guess that they were the main like jobs in the small village communities but I called my mum this weekend before I did this to like ask her about it because she ventured away from the farming side while her like brother and sister continued working on the farms and like all of my cousins now like work on the chicken farm and I like called my mum and I was like why didn't you continue working on the farm (laughs) and she said because her dream when she was younger was to have an office job which I thought was really cute so she went to do like a little typing course on the typewriters at the local college and um then she worked as like an admin job just in this like local business for like 30 years and then that went bust and she was a carer for a while and now she's got like a similar job just like another local business um what made you move away from home i guess it was just uni like i never saw myself coming to uni in london i didn't really like the idea of london at all i don't actually know what happened I, I, I just did a foundation year in Hull and my tutors were like, you should apply for courses in London. And then I looked at the courses in London and came to visit some of my friends who've moved to London. And I was like, this is actually quite fun. Maybe I should move here. But yeah, I think all my cousins and stuff think it's kind of mental that I live here. But obviously for Mm. me, it's quite normal. But yeah, got a very different life to them. I Mm. always think if I would have taken the farming pathway, would I have ended up doing something? I don't know. Sliding door. when did you come to realize that you were working class I guess it's like not really something that you think about when you're growing up like 
for me it was like when I was a kid I'd go around to my friends houses and they'd have like a sky tv box and they'd get all the good channels like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network and then go home and be like why don't we have a sky tv box I want to watch Spongebob <laughs> every day um, but you, I don't know you don't think about it in your hometown really and then I did my foundation year in Hull um, which was also like a very like working class group of people and I was like this is so much fun like yeah this will be great doing this in London and so like I kind of moved to London super naive for uni and it was just like a whole different like kettle of fish <laughs> but yeah I studied graphic design which so like from the beginning it was like you need a MacBook and you need the Adobe software mm. and if you have a part-time job outside of this you're not taking it seriously which is that's which... so strange that idea is still present in a lot of places I was quite lucky in that uh, my tutors for the majority of my time were like they were understand they were like oh yeah of course you gotta have a part-time job like yeah that makes complete sense but I've I've spoken to a couple of people who have gone to London and there is still that it's it's quite surprising how often it comes up that people are like, no, you need to be focusing solely on this. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I just don't think it, it's just like not a very realistic, like, it's just stupid. Like, I was, I was really lucky because there was like a group of trustees called the Fifis in a village, in the village that I grew up in. And like, I got a grant from them before I went to university that paid for my MacBook. And I've like had that for six years and it still hasn't broken. Yeah. But even now I'm like, if this breaks, <laughs> but it's going strong still. Uh, mine's at about 10 years now <laughs> and I'm sort of, it's going strong, but I'm sort of of that mindset like, oh, if I get rid of it, I'm going to end up having to buy like a new computer every two years just because of how quick technology is. So I'm just like, no, I'm keeping this for as long as possible. Yeah, and with, with the Apple ones, apparently they don't make them like they used to. Like, everyone says the new ones aren't as good, so I'm like, I don't want this one to die. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to afford it. Um, what got you into art in the first place and making stuff? I guess when I was growing up, my mum used to always have this, like, she had this, like, box in our... Um, just like we had a cupboard under the stairs and had this box in it that was referred to as the gluing and sticking box. And I remember like there was a girl who lived next door to me who was the same age as me and like her mum was very much like no arts and crafts in the house and it'd always be like the, a joke like even now like she'll still ask me if my mum still has the gluing and sticking box because she'd always like come around to like just make things. So I guess like yeah it's pro probably my mum just pushed it from a young age. And then like when I did my foundation year, I did that because like, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into like, I don't know, more of a writing course or a creative course at uni. So it was just like, I'll just take a year to try out a load of different stuff. And it was, it was a really fun year. So I'm glad I did it. And yeah, I, I kind of like, I like where I ended up. What led you to going into filmmaking? That's a bit of a weird one because, hmm. I think my course at uni was quite vague like it was called graphic design and visual communication but basically they'd just give you a brief and like sometimes it was like an advertising brief sometimes it was like just something super vague and you could kind of do what you wanted with it and yeah that's how I ended up taking like the film route because like a lot of the things you can make like a video response to it yeah so I guess that's it was kind of accidental I never like came to uni thinking I was going to come out of it making films but that's what happened. 
going to your film work, there's a couple that I'd love to talk about. Um, first one being Dad Dancing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just brilliant. It's so, like, it's so clear, like, what you're talking about. How did it come about? I think that came about from... I think my mum and dad used to love Dire Straits because the song in it is Money for Nothing, Dire yeah. Straits. I remember I was like on the bus just like to uni on like a really rainy day one time and I was like, oh, it'd be like really fun to just like have a video of like loads of people, dad dancing to this song. <laughs> and then like, it just like kind of spiraled out of control. Like, oh, a mockumentary, like, oh, I can't make an actual mockumentary. So it'll just be a trailer for a mockumentary. And I kind of like loved the like kitsch, like 70s dinner party aesthetic. So it was like a great way to like use all of that. And yeah, that was actually really fun to make um, cause it was like all of my family helped and like my dad's like dancing in the video and my uncle's dancing in the video and like all of like, like my mum and my auntie like helped make all the food for the dinner party. And we did it in like the local village hall that let us do it for like mad cheap. I realized that like having a location for a film in London is like impossible. But like, if you go back home, like a really great place will like charge you 30 pounds to shoot mm. for a whole day, which is pretty good. Yeah, that was really fun. I still kind of think it's the best thing I've ever made and I don't know how <laughs> I'm gonna pop it. <laughs> it, it. It is sort of, it's just, it's so clear what it's doing. And it's got, it works perfect as a trailer in that, it covers all the main points but at the same time you go oh well how what is the debt what how would it be into like a full feature-length documentary of some kind it's really interesting I was wondering if uh you're talking about the food that was made do you think that there is a working classness in dad dancing in terms of the aesthetic and how it all looks because it's sort of like it, it comes off across to me as very working class fancy yeah it was very that place where we shot it was actually perfect because it was like an old village it was like a, just a village hall type place it was where my um half brother and his husband had their like wedding reception thing and I remember ever since being there being like this is amazing and when it came to dad dancing I was like we should we should shoot something there because it had like it had like the red velvet like the belt just the velvet curtains which like kind of it like gave it like a bit of a lynchy vibe as well so like it looked nice but it had like the aesthetic that like the working class aesthetic what was I trying to say did that answer your question <laughs> yeah like, kind of I suppose I suppose the question is do, how do you think your working classness comes across in your films or if it comes across in your films? I'm not sure it does that much I think it's only recently that I've started thinking about trying to like bring my working classness into my work a lot like a lot more but in the past it's never really been anything that I've it's not been something that I've like consciously tried to represent but obviously things come from real life and if that comes across that's that's a good thing but I haven't consciously tried to make work on the subject I also think at the moment there's a lot of there's a bit of a trend going on. And I, I think there's a lot that can be said for, for especially like what I've witnessed of like the classic, like middle-class creatives fetishizing working class and like hiring like a really expensive photographer to do it, which is annoying, but it's just, I don't it's know. It's a weird, it's a weird situation. I remember reading a, um, like a doc, 
uh, like a review for a TV show, which was about um, working class uh, models in the fashion industry. Mm. And it was just that whole idea of sort of a working class aesthetic being celebrated, but sort of in such a way that it um, had a middle class wash over it. Yeah. If the right people are making the work, then it's good. But if it's like, you know, people who aren't from working class making it, it's kind of like, what are you trying to say? And why are you Mm. trying to say it? Also, it's not really, it's not your story to tell. (laughs) Yeah. Is that why you've sort of started to think about your working classness a bit more in your work? Yeah, I think a lot of it's come from applying for like funding applications and stuff as well. Like, I think a lot of the time... I've got a few friends like who I've known who I met from my cinema job and stuff who like have ended up working for like funding bodies I think a lot of the time it's like to get funding for something it has to be about like a specific struggle which is good and like them stories are like good and then it makes me think I don't want to like just write something for the sake of it that wouldn't be something that I'd make otherwise just to like get me ahead I'm not sure what the point I'm trying to make I think it, I think what you're trying to say is that you're wanting to look at working classness because there's almost the sense that you need to talk about working classness to sort of get funding, yeah. but you want to go about it in such a way that doesn't make it into this struggle, like this struggle narrative. It's sort of trying to address the fact that a lot of arts funding bodies are wanting work that is sort of dealing with this, but they only want a particular kind of narrative. Yeah, I think it always like tends to be a bit more like pessimistic and like sad and like it's it's just because my films are comedy and <laughs> I think like I want to represent it in my work but I'll never represent it in like a negative way or as do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's the use of comedy a conscious decision. Yeah, I think so. I think I think a lot of it comes down to like I don't know, just wanting to make people smile. <laughs> but no, I think I was just gonna say about the difference between like access to like culture, like back home and stuff, and how like when I came to London and like I went down the film pathway at uni, I was just like really behind everyone with my references. Like I didn't really like know any like art house films. I didn't have like cool parents that were into like cool films. Our DVD collections were all like just classic rom-coms and like Adam Sandler films and like chick flicks, which are like loads of fun. But then like I got to uni and like everyone's like throwing all these references at me and I'm like, I need to catch up. But I think because like I grew up on like them films, it's like informed what I make a lot and I think it's important to me that a storyline's fun and then it has that it has the punchline at the end. I think people like it and it works and people like my films because they're fun. And I owe that to my parents' trashy DVD collection, I think. I mean, I, I completely see like what you're referencing in your films. It's and it's so joyous because like, I had a similar experience with um gun study music because I mean I was a bit weird. I, I did like a junior conservatoire thing and got training and a bit more knowledge about a lot of classical music but even at uni when everybody was sort of going off and going and citing different people I'd go listen to them and think these are shite why are we talking about this yeah and it's yeah I'm gonna carry on (laughs) I agree because I think 
a lot of the time, especially with like super, super art house films and because of the stuff that I, I've like grown up on, I do have a very short attention span when it comes to like quite slow, I don't know. And I'm just like, it's, yeah, it's definitely affected my work. Who would you say are some of your favorite filmmakers now? I'm going to go on my favorite things that I've watched since the free cinema tickets. I think my favorite film that I watched like pre-lockdown was there was a film that came out maybe in 2019 called Bait. It's by a director called Mark Jenkin and it's set in Cornwall and it's about like a fisherman who like basically the whole town he lives in is being bought up by Airbnb people and he's just like a classic fisherman. But the way it's done is like so clever. It's just like shot on black and white film. And like, it's very, to me, it feels like when I try to make films, there's a lot of things I try to do to like make up for the fact that I don't have a budget, like just like little hacks and stuff. Mm. And I read an article about this film and basically he said how, I think most of the cast weren't actual actors and the way they like kind of got around it was by like shooting it and then like re-recording the audio afterwards. So like the audio was the actors like dubbing over their own acting. I just thought that was like a really clever way of like, I don't know, sometimes it's difficult with actors if they're like, if they're not, I don't know. I find it difficult with actors sometimes. I try to structure work. So there's like as little acting as possible because you know, I worry that if the acting's bad. Just the risk, yeah, way. the very risk of um, actors who can't act or they're acting like they're acting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's something that I'm gonna have to deal with in directing at some point. But at the moment, I'm just like I very consciously like structure the structure the film so there's like as little actual like acting needed as possible. So like whenever I get to work with like an actual genuine actor, if that happens in the future, I'm gonna be like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> like, yeah, I thought that was a really interesting film, and it was a really cool subject matter as well. It sounds really good. I'm definitely going to watch it. It reminds me of uh, an issue one of my mates had in Edinburgh where she couldn't get a flat because all of the nice flats were being bought up for Airbnbs for like the whole festival season. And yeah. it's like, it's insane what's sort of going on. Yeah, yeah. it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It kind of like cancels itself out as well because like the man is like a fisherman and then the fish that he sells to like the pub is being sold to like the Airbnb guests who are like eating at the pub. And it's just, it's a, it's a great film. I liked it a lot. Uh, going back to one of your other films, uh, La Rupture. Oh yeah. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Like, it's just brilliant. Uh, how did it come about? That was like uni. It was, there's like an advertising com competition type thing called DNAD. And I guess every year um, that they enter it, like the course. And the brief was to make an advert for the Microsoft Surface, which is just like basically like an iPad tablet type thing. And yeah, I made it with this girl on my course and it was actually like her concept, like about um, what if there was like a breakup PowerPoint presentation that this girl made. And we were like, yeah, that, that would be really fun. And she kind of brought me on board to do like that, like make the PowerPoint presentation, which was literally like my dream, just my dream. I love, I, I don't know, I just love like PowerPoints and like funny transitions and like the idea of like being able to like break down a relationship in that way to just like tell a guy off. It was really fun. 
and we won the award so that was good yeah i mean it's such a strong film but there's an interesting element to it where it's um uh, and it's something that is in another film of yours uh, the secret life of house plants <laughs> where it's sort of it's it's using old footage and it's using like uh, referential pre-existing film um how does that come about is that a conscious decision or is it again just sort of we can't have the budget to film all of this so what can we do to cover that gap I think it's a bit of both because I think I, I'm very like sentimental and I love like nostalgic things and I, I just I do really love archive and I, I always have for a really long time but then yeah with the like whole budget and not being able to film things it all comes together because it's a good filler and yeah I think people like to see it and to be fair, one of the good things about lockdown is I made Secret Life of Houseplants in lockdown. And I learned a lot about accessing archive and like being able to like find the right stuff that you can use and what you can't use. So that's a skill that I've gained this year. But yeah, I definitely want to um, use more of my work in the future as well. It is quite difficult to access a lot of stuff though, like legally. Yeah, it's, I've always found that whenever I've been trying to do stuff I don't really quote music I'll quote like film and footage and stuff and it's always a nightmare finding decent creative commons licensed stuff yeah it's so difficult (laughs) I'm learning Um, I'm glad that like I've kind of learned a bit more on how to do that now because I do love it and I should start yeah it's good to do things legally because Mm. (laughs) there's no point in (laughs) enter it into anything (laughs) Um, main takeaway from this episode uh do stuff legally (laughs) otherwise it's just no point and you live in fear so what are you working on at the moment so at the moment i'm one of my friends who i worked with at the cinema called shauna and she released an album a couple of months ago and it's really good so we're working on a music video together it's moving quite slowly at the moment. I kind of wanted to get a lot of it done before I went back to the cinema, but that hasn't happened. So um, she came to me with this concept of outer space alien masked ball. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of like, okay, that sounds great. We can we can figure out a way to do this. This is fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we're going to work a lot with like miniatures, model making, and we've got a few friends who do like costume department type stuff. So we'll make it work. There's, al- there's always a way. I've got quite good with making things without a budget and trying to get it to look a bit professional. So we'll see. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. As a, as a very, very <laughs> uh, cheap workaround, you can have it as being a, an alien mask ball where all the aliens are in human masks and they just all look perfectly human. Yeah, that, <laughs> that could work. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. We, yeah, I think there's lots of fun things you can do with that. Like like with dad dancing, like, like you know, like the alien type, what would the aliens eat? And I don't know, alien dance moves. It'll be fun. It'll it'll be silly, but it'll be fun. And I've never made a music video before, so I think that's that's something that I've been wanting to do for ages. And the song's really good, so I'm looking forward to it. It'll nice. Do you find for your um, creative work, do you like that balance of people coming to you and saying, can you make me something? And you leading on a project yourself? 
I do really like the solo filmmaking stuff, but I think I'm definitely, it's just better to work with other people. In lockdown, I made a film with my friend Marianne, who I met at the cinema. And yeah, everyone said to me, like, after we posted that, that they think it's like the strongest thing I've made. And there was, there was like lots of points in the middle where I was just like, oh, it's just, this is stressful. Um, you have to agree on everything, don't you? And yeah, it's definitely better to work with people. And also like I have quite, I have like very low like confidence when it comes to my work. And like when we finished this film, like Marianne was very proactive and she's like sent it to like loads of festivals and websites and stuff that like, if it was just me by myself, I wouldn't have done that. Cause I'd have been like, oh, I don't like it. And it like got posted on a website the other day and like got quite a lot of views from it and stuff. So I'm like, it's good to like have someone else to like boost you up. With La Rupture, the girl who I made that with though, at the end, like we were both as bad as each other. We were both like, oh, it's terrible. I never want to watch it again. And then when it won the award, we were like, what the hell? Like, see, I guess it just depends who you're working with. The music video has been like quite a different experience so far because like the girl that I'm doing the video for isn't a filmmaker. So she's had like a lot of very like out there ideas. And I've had to be like, the alien outer space ball is enough. And we should focus on that. <laughs> there doesn't need to be anything else. But I think I think the music video is going to be a big learning curve because it's the first time I've done anything like that. I can't wait to see it. Kath, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been really nice hearing more about your work and how you think about it. Yeah, it's been good talking to you. It's been fun. Uh, speak soon. Speak soon. Bye. Bye. And that is the episode. I'd love to thank Kath for coming on the show to talk about her work and for you for listening to this episode of What Is Your Work in Class. To stay up to date on all new episodes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at What Is Your Work One and on your chosen podcast provider. Thank you so much for listening and hopefully hear from me soon.